Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, one day closer, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, glad to be with you. Ceasefire text line is open. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, well, we would love for you to do that. Jump on the Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, that number is 601 601- Eight seven nine four three nine five at Ceasefire. They're always asking the big question, like why wait for your next device? Uh, why wait for the next device to get the one that you really want? Right now, you can get any iPhone for a hundred dollars off at your local Ceasefire store and online at Ceasefire.com. Is this going to feel like a funeral all day? No, no, I'm feeling good, man. It's only week two. The Saints lost week two last oh. year. It's not. A I problem. didn't even. I wasn't even registering what you were talking about until he said that. No, we're okay. It was frustrating to watch that football game last night. It was, but my goodness, just sloppy. I mean, undisciplined football. They they brought it up on the broadcast. The Saints haven't been two and zero since 2013, but they've been the NFL best overall record the last three years. So, I mean, it's, it's a bad loss, but it'll be okay. All I know is that it's a good thing that they allow jewelry. For football players in the NFL, you know there, there's some levels of football where they make you take off that off. It's a good thing because that means Drew Brees can have that little necklace that goes around that where you press the button when you fall it and you can't get up. He's almost as old as you. <laughs> he's older than me, isn't he? Uh, yes, he I is. think he's 41. Yeah. There you go. See, old he man, is. old man, Drew Brees. You guys didn't like that. I thought that I thought I had put that. Borky, you even put life. Uh, what was it? Life alert at quarterback is what. Yeah, I put life notes. alert in the notes. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to. I was trying to play off of that just a little bit. Man, uh, so the thing with Breeze and the the talking point today nationally is is how he's done. And look, he is very clearly not the same quarterback he was five years ago. But I'm not ready to call it quits on him. I mean, you had people in Saints world talking about put in Jameis because he's done. It's over. And yes, his arm is dead. I mean, he really is six months away from doing retirement plan commercials, right? I mean, he's done. It's he is, <laughs> Father time's undefeated always. He's on borrowed time. He even admits it. But his problems, especially last night, were timing and accuracy. His arm strength has been an issue for three, four years now. That's why I'm not just ready to put Jameis in and just call Breeze. Just it's over, and they can't win because those are the kind of things that arm strength aren't really a factor on, um, and those are correctable issues. My concern yeah. 
is the other side of the ball. I mean, Drew Brees still threw for over 300 yards last night, bad interception aside. But when you're letting Derek Carr dink and dunk you all night long, that's where the issue was. It was penalties, really dumb penalties. Uh, Dennis Allen's game plan I thought was very bad, especially in the mid part of the game. Second and third quarter was especially awful. Third down defense was a joke. That's where the issue of that team is. But everybody's everybody's talking about Drew Brees today, him being done. That's not their issue. That's not why they lost last night. They lost because they couldn't get off the freaking field and couldn't cover anybody and were sending six, seven guys and letting one of the best tight ends in football, I mean, just catch balls in the flat all night. That's yeah, but he did more than that, and that's where I was going to go next because you talk about their secondary and how bad they were, but we are watching the emergence of an absolute star at tight end that that is going to go in the the category with Travis Kelsey, and you know Rob Gronkowski obviously is not what he once was, but that type player in Darren Waller, I mean. Didn't know he existed catches. until last night. <laughs> Did not know who he was. That, that's why I it's said like, the emergence of. I mean, you you've got to be a diehard fan to uh, to really have known much about Darren Waller pr- prior to last night. Twelve catches, one hundred three yards, eight and a half yards per catch. The longest reception he had. So to your point, Borky, in fairness, was eighteen yards. But he's such a mismatch problem. I mean, a big, strong guy had great hands, and. He may be the next in that kind of line of tight ends that are becoming a really big part of the passing game in the NFL. Yeah. Because the NFL ultimately is a copycat league, right? If it works well for somebody, you got to go get somebody to uh, be able to make that work as well. Yeah, and I don't mean to take away from Carr. I mean, Carr was – he had a good game last night, but – it's not like he was challenged to make difficult throws down the field in coverage. I know you want to pressure him, and you saw it early in the game. Derek Carr, despite being in the NFL for a long time, still has zero pocket presence. I mean, when he's when he's under duress, he's bad. And so I get sending extra pressure to try to rattle him into mistakes because that has worked throughout his entire career. But when... Oakland slash Las Vegas adjusted to where they were getting the ball out of his hands quickly to this elite level tight end, throwing these quick underneath routes, and you're still sending six, seven guys and forcing your safeties to come down and make plays like that when they're 10, 15, 20 yards off the ball and you're running these quick routes and you don't adjust, they're just going to run down the field on you. And then, by the way, they've got a really darn good running back. Yeah. I mean, that it was... It was a coaching and execution and effort, especially late, disaster for the Saints' defense last night. Hey, Dad, do you know why it is that you haven't heard of Darren Waller prior to last night? I don't play fantasy football anymore. Well, he was drafted in 2015 in the sixth round with the 204th pick by Baltimore out of Georgia Tech. So it's not like he was in an offense in college where you really showcased. He was a late-round draft pick. And 9.5% of his career receptions came last night. And 14.2% of his career receptions have come in the first two games of the 2020 season. Darren Waller is on pace this year to catch 144 balls with eight touchdowns. This season, for his career, he has 126 catches and six touchdowns. 
Well, that's so we'll see if he's stat. able to continue on that pace. I mean, he was really thought, good last year. I thought the game turned at, at, with that interception at the end of the first half. You know, the Saints get the ball back. They put together a couple of plays, and I think, okay, they're probably going to get a field goal out of this and extend the lead. And Brees throws a horrible interception, which, you know, arm strength had nothing to do with. He just didn't see that linebacker there and just basically handed him the ball, and they get a field goal to tie it up, and that gave them all the momentum, and then they just continued from there. Really good game from the Raiders. I was very impressed. So, so you say arm strength had nothing to do with it. There was an interesting breakdown, and I, I don't remember if it was Ryan Clark or Tim Hasselbeck after the game last night on Scott Van Pelt, and they showed that play, and they said arm strength absolutely had something to do with it. Um, the, the point that they were making, so you had a drag route and another drag route kind of a dig behind it. And so the underneath drag drew the the safety up a little bit, and there was a window there. And the point that they were making was he was throwing off of his back foot. He can't drive the football anymore unless he's really got time and steps into a throw. That's why you don't see him throwing it down the field unless he's got a clean pocket where he can step into it because he just can't get it there. So they said velocity and arm strength was part of it, but the other part of it was touch. And that's the thing that Drew Brees has always had. He's never had a Joe Flacco arm, ever. But he's had a good enough arm, and he has been wildly accurate with amazing touch throughout the entirety of his career, going back to uh, the time before he was with New Orleans, which feels like a, a, a lifetime ago. But he's always been accurate. He's always had great touch. He's always been smarter and seen everything that's going on. I don't think it's a scenario where he didn't see the linebacker there that had dropped into coverage. I said the safety a second ago, the linebacker. I think it was a scenario where he saw him and his mind said, oh, yeah, drop it over the top of him with some velocity on it into that window, and he didn't get it up. It didn't have touch, and it didn't have enough juice on it to get it over the linebacker. But, I mean, it was a gift-wrapped interception. And to your point earlier in the game, talking about touch, it would have been called back because Cook pushed off, but, I mean, he missed on a little touch pass to the outside, a wide-open Jared Cook just threw it over his head. And that's the kind of throw where you're there's clearly something wrong now when he's missing that throw because that that's the bread and butter of his career. Over a linebacker, underneath the safety, dropping it into a window with some touch, yeah. and he completely – and the, there was a, a pass to Emmanuel Sanders that was just behind him and not on time, and there was a, one to Traquan Smith, and both of these guys should have caught the ball – but behind him and not on time, just atypical Drew Brees. The arm has been dead. It was dead last year, but he was still accurate and on time in the first two games of this season. He doesn't have that right now. And in fairness, sometimes when we write the obituary of an all-time great, it turns out to be a little premature. You know, the Mark Twain, you know, the news of my death has been greatly exaggerated or my demise has been greatly exaggerated. Drew Brees did throw for 312 yards and a touchdown last night. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it wasn't chopped liver. Arm is it, dead. He's a bum put in Jameis. He threw for 300. On more per attempt than uh, Derek Carr, who's getting all the praise today. More per attempt and more per completion, but an incredibly low number of yards per, per attempt. Four yards per attempt. In the, uh, in the game last night, which is not a very good number. Tons to get to this afternoon with you. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. So I guess the big college football news of the day is a postponement, and I guess as we go throughout the season, that's going to kind of be the story. And the, to me, the, the question is when the postponements happen. 
you know, when it happens on Tuesday, it's like you you got a little time to get used to it, and you're like, eh, bummer. And then you get excited about the weekend again. What was it? Friday last week when we got news that uh, the Baylor-Houston game was canceled, postponed? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make it. late in the week, yeah. Maybe it doesn't make any difference when it happens, but Notre Dame at Wake Forest has been postponed after seven Fighting Irish players tested positive for COVID-19. That's on the heels of six testing positive last week, so 13 who are in isolation, and they postponed it and have kind of pressed pause on football activities. That part of it was interesting to me. I mean, maybe they just they realize they have some flexibility, so they're willing to do it, but 13 guys is not a whole lot, relatively speaking. When you're talking about having 13 guys out for a game, you've got a roster of 85 on scholarship, close to 100 guys with walk-ons and stuff like that. So if, if you're shutting down games for, for 13 players in quarantine, not all of which were even positive, I feel like that's unnecessary. Okay. Um, Brett McMurphy tweeted earlier today, Iowa State conducted 631 COVID tests of athletes, coaches, and staff from September 14th through September 20th with zero positive results. There was a guy that responded to Brett McMurphy that said, what Dan Wolken won't tell you. To which Wolken said, uh, the story is an average of five games per week are being postponed. Yeah. Well, they're, bo- they're both the story. That's the problem. You know, that we seem to be getting better, but there are still a lot of issues to get through. But the good news is that the people who designed the schedules and didn't overreact and put themselves into a corner where they got to play eight weeks in a row and there's no going back. They built in some some time for this stuff. They built in some bye weeks and some extra time to get these games played. So that, you know, that's the story. I agree. Scott and Clinton says it depends on which 13 can't play. True. And if the, it was all the, one position group, then that changes things. But they didn't specify that. No, they didn't. And the SEC and the Big 12, I, I don't know exactly what the protocol is for the ACC. I guess I should know that. For the SEC and Big 12, you've got to have seven offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, and a quarterback. And then outside of that, you can, if you've got a big number, you think it's unsafe, you're asking for a special exception, whatever, you can ask for that, and it is at the discretion of the commissioner to postpone or declare a no contest. We, we talked about that last week when the SEC kind of revealed its rules. And, you know... Uh, Again, I don't know exactly what the ACC's rules are on that, but if Notre Dame, you know, even if they didn't fall exactly within the, well, we've only got six offensive linemen, they might have, you know, said, look, we're worried with 13 positive cases over the course of two weeks. we got to press pause on everything so we can get this under control so we're not doing this week after week after week. Yeah. Which seems like it would be reasonable rationale. Very reasonable. And this is why you build in opportunities to make up games. Yeah. And this is why you don't start your season eight weeks before the college football playoff decision and you have eight games to play and you got to just get through it however you can. I mean, I'm already looking forward. I guess I shouldn't say I'm looking forward to people getting sick. I'm not looking forward to that. But the, the Big Ten's going to have to cancel a game or two. It's going to happen. 
Either that or we're going to get to have a scandal down the road where we find out the Big Ten was hiding numbers. Either way, I'm going to laugh a little. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, hey, Dad. It'd be consistent for that conference. That would be juicy. I mean, yeah. What, what do we? If, if they get through all their games with no postponements, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a little doubtful. You know, skeptical would be the word. A couple of things to get to from the NFL. They put out, uh, they being the league office, put out a memo last week in which they told their coaches, "You got to do the mask thing." We've told you you've got to do the mask thing, but on Monday Night Football last week, Sean McVay just kind of wore it around his chin the whole time. And so they said, if you don't wear a mask, especially given the profile, and by the way, this is about optics more than it is about spreading or not spreading a virus, the optics are really bad if the head coach who's on camera a lot doesn't have a mask on. And you saw maybe a little better cooperation among NFL coaches, but not completely this week. Vic Fangio, the head coach of the Broncos, Pete Carroll of the Seahawks, and Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers have all been fined $100,000 for not wearing masks consistently on Sunday, and each of their teams is fined $250,000. Whew! That's uh, $1,050,000 in fines for three guys not wearing a mask as consistently as they should have on the sideline. And last night, you're probably getting a couple more because Gruden didn't really have his up much, and Peyton, for most of the game, didn't have one in sight. Now, I and wonder both of those guys are, are saying, I think, that, that, that because they're the play callers, that they have a little leeway with that. But I don't know if that's the case or not. And I wonder if Peyton doesn't have to because he had it. That's a good point. You yeah. remember, he had, the, he had it early he had it on. Early. He got it early, from that early. horse race. Like in March. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he went to the, uh, the Arkansas Derby. At uh, Oaklawn, I think it is. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, sure, in Hot Springs. But if so, that's yeah. not the case, then he's getting one of these fat fines today too. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Again, I think it's about optics as much as anything else. That, that's a huge optics thing. You can go out there and like deliberately target a quarterback and just spear him and slam him to the ground, and you might only get fined fifty k. But. I mean, I know it's optics. I, I get it, but they're all being tested every single day, all of them, every day. Every player on the field, every coach, everybody tested every single day. And before the games this weekend, on game day, they all tested negative. After the day before, testing negative. You get my point. I mean, who are you really fooling? If Sean Payton wears a mask last night, does that change anybody's perception of them playing? or anything that involves coronavirus and mask wearing, does that change anybody's perception? I don't think no, so. No, I mean, it's just it's just like a, uh, a little social media red herring. We're like, oh, he's not wearing a mask. Oh, he's not wearing a mask. I mean, it's like if you follow one of Tate Reeves' press conferences, when he sits down behind the microphone and takes off his mask and starts talking, like the first comment on Twitter, or not on Twitter, but on the comments section on the, the Facebook live stream, why is he wearing a mask? Well, you moron, because there's nobody within six feet of him on either side, and he's talking into a microphone. That's why. Same reason I'm not wearing a mask when I sit here and talk on the radio, in a studio all by myself. Because it doesn't make any sense. 
I'm fine. Wear a mask. I feel like everybody's kind of gotten adjusted to it. Are you, are you mask guys or gator guys? I like the gator I have better. A, I have a mask that was provided for me by our good people here at Telesouth. So. There you go. You've been rocking that one since uh, April, haven't you? Yeah, I've had the same mask. Just keep it. That's clean. impressive. The ability to keep up with one for an extended period of time—I'm no good on that. Just leave it in the car. There you go. Uh, you can text the show ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Ratings this week, uh, pretty good. Fox this week was up six percent year over year in the early window. The noon game. What was their noon game this week? They had a few. Um, it was so Cowboys, it, wasn't it? That was... Yeah, that was the national game. Yeah. Yep. Cowboys-Falcons was the early game. Newsflash, people watch the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, yeah. if you can believe that. There. And then Patriots-Seahawks, which was Sunday Night Football, drew 18.4 million people. That was up from 18.2 million last year. And... It was also opposite NBA playoffs and the Emmys. Yeah. Which wasn't the case a year ago. No. And the no. Emmys were on a different TV in, in my house. Um, so <laughs> the NBA <laughs> finals were on at my house. If we get measured, you know, we Our, counted for that. But and then some of the other so this was two windows this weekend, right? But there's two more, and those two were slightly down. So basically, it's kind of how a typical year goes. But I think what we've been talking about, you're not really seeing that much. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't get away from commercials because if you have the money, you can buy the space. I saw Trump and Biden commercials last night. But I didn't notice much talking about anything other than football. Did you? I may have missed no. it, but I didn't notice it. No, I didn't. I didn't. No. Yeah. Which Make is you- a little bit of a change because ESPN in week one focused yep. more on the off-the-field stuff while CBS and NBC and Fox did not. ESPN clearly made a bit of an adjustment in week two as well. Probably got some feedback. That would be my guess. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. I know we do winners and losers on Monday, but would you humor me one more winner? Bring it on. You guys, be, you guys be okay with that? Go right ahead. High school quarterback. Stat line on Friday night was 13 of 19 for 129 yards <laughs> and 95 yards rushing. Good numbers. Maybe even better than average numbers at the high school level. Yeah. But not like, oh, wow, blow you away. Let's talk about a high school quarterback that nobody's ever heard of numbers. What if I told you you had six touchdowns in the game? Six uh, six touchdowns total, three through the air, three on the ground. Makes you it a little more attention. impressive. Okay. Yeah. What if I told you you only had one arm? I'm Whoa. locked in now. Go ahead. Treshawn Willis is the quarterback of Washington High School in Iowa. They were playing against Mount Pleasant, Iowa, uh, also in Iowa, on Friday night. Washington improved to 4-0 on the year, 2-0 in the district. Willis, who has his right arm, which is his throwing arm, and then, based on the videos I've watched, looks like his left arm stops just above the elbow. 
taking snaps out of the shotgun. Got Washington on the board with a four-yard rushing touchdown early in the game. They never trailed again. Had touchdown passes of 28 yards, 17 yards, and three yards. Now, actually throwing the football, okay, I mean, he has a right arm, and when he takes the snap, he kind of uses the the nub on his left arm to, to secure it like a normal person with two arms would use two hands to do. And then he releases and, you know, throws with his right arm. The part to me, though, that was more fascinating was watching him take snaps. He is, generally speaking, grabbing the snap one-handed with his right hand and then immediately kind of cradling it into what would be like the, the crook of the elbow and the other arm, but just above the elbow where his arm ends. Three touchdown passes, three rushing touchdowns, and actually has a collegiate offer. Uh, Loris, I believe, is the name of the school. It's a, a small school in Iowa. It's expected to graduate in uh, in 2021. 6'6", 235 pounds. That's pretty darn cool. You think you tell me that frame again? Goodness, if he had two arms, he'd have a lot more offers. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's he's obviously a very very good athlete. Good for him, man. Yeah, no isn't that cool? Back. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the story that people immediately go to when you think about somebody who only has one arm competing at a high level is Jim Abbott, who pitched yeah. in the big leagues with one arm. Did he have he had one hand, I thought. Yeah, I guess his arm did extend down to almost yeah, the wrist he because to, he, would, he, he, he held he his glove. His, he held his glove right. on it, yeah. Kind of held his glove on on the the nub of about where his wrist was, and he would go into his motion, and then as he let go of the ball, would transition over with his glove on his yeah. hand, which also is still one of the most remarkable things. Oh, cool, ever. yeah. I faced had Mordecai three finger Brown way back in the day. In middle school baseball, I faced a, a one arm pitcher. He had, I would say, about a about a fourth of his arm on his non throwing mm-hmm. arm, and he would hold the glove underneath it, and he would follow through and immediately put the glove on and get in ready position. And if he ever had to field a grounder, he would just like scoop the ball up with his glove and like, um, I forget what the sport's called, but like just like shot put basically this the ball out of his glove to first base or wherever he needed to go. He struck my butt out. I mean, he could really play, huh. and I mean it was awesome. The transition was so smooth, man. Follow through, glove on, ready position, like he had. I mean, of course, like he had been doing it his his entire life, but it was fluid. Like there was nothing even wrong with him. It was amazing. Jeff and Grenada says Richard said nub. The PC police are going to get you. Well, I'm not sure how else you would describe it. Mike in Oxford says, didn't Jim Abbott pitch a no-hitter? He did. He did. Yeah. Absolutely did. Shaq Bully says the same thing. Shaq Bully, thanks for listening down in Biloxi. Great to hear from you on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Keith and Vaden says, don't forget about the drummer from Def Leppard. It's my favorite one fact arm. ever that I throw out there way too much, is that the drummer for Def Leppard has one arm. Somebody says, reminds me of the 71 Gator Bowl when Archie's arm was in a cast. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't think it's quite the same thing. Impressive, nonetheless, to play Richard quarterback. It's Archie Manning, News oh, 11. stop it. Um, Hogman wants to know which one of you guys picked Saints to win last night. Both of us. I didn't expect them to just step on their own feet all night. They've doubled last year's penalty totals after two games. 
doubled them. And the crew was a little flag happy last night on both sides. They were a little flag happy. However, self-inflicted wounds, I mean, just poor effort. I think Malcolm Jenkins especially was very bad. Janoris Jenkins, the Jenkins boys, even though they're not related, also pretty bad last night. Just not good. I mean, they didn't execute sloppy, uninspired football. That was an embarrassment. Ceasefire text line. We played a kid, I believe he was from Moorville, if I remember right, that was a kicker who had no arms. Place kicker. Obviously wouldn't work as a punter. Um, that's cool. And you, you think about it. I mean, obviously for kickers, it's all about their legs and their feet and whatnot, but it's arms all about your balance. body, though. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's balance and, and whatnot. Go try to kick a football with no, no arms. See how that goes for you. Um, I did not realize this. Barry in Caledonia says, Richard, it's actually called a residual limb. There you go. Please, please no, I meant no disrespect when I referred to the, the tip of his arm where it stopped as a nub. I, I thought that only, was appropriate. Only people who are going to be un, uh, offended by that are people looking to be offended by that. So we'll just move on. We've got a lot of that. Going on, man. We got it. We got a good friend who, who texts me. Um, he says, Richard says, a one armed quarterback with his right arm, which is his throwing arm. No <laughs> crap, Richard. Now that, that he got you on. Thank you. Tom, Thank you for that. From the 662, Tom Dempsey had a, uh, well, he had half a foot, right? And had, had the, the longest field goal in NFL, in NFL history. Josh and Philly, I don't understand. And I'm not being flippant when I say this. He says he swam against someone in high school with no arms or legs. Josh, you got to tell me more about that. I feel like there's a punchline coming that we're not going to be able to read on the air. Yeah, and if it is, you know, shame on you. But if you're if you're being real, if if that was actually something that happened, I need to understand how that worked. I, I, I am perplexed. I feel like that's, uh, a, that's a joke. I think maybe so. Before. Yeah, yeah M- maybe another, so. Shaquem Griffin. I forgot about him. Plays for the Seahawks. Yeah, Shaq Griffin. Yeah, and that was a great story. Oh, it was a great mi- story. He's missing like half half of his arm. Is that right? I think that's right. Uh, Shaquem Griffin's missing a hand. Okay. Quinn brings up a really good point, and we know that Quinn is a huge Saints fan. Says credit to the Raiders, though. They've been drafting well, and apparently they also know how to develop NFL players. If we rewind a year, do you remember all the heck that John Gruden got for letting go of Khalil, Khalil Mack, Mack, wasn't it? Khalil yeah. Mack and got and some draft picks for it. And, and Richard, well, I mean, gone before then. Darren Waller's one of those guys. If you remember, Jared Cook, the Saints tight end, who's one of the better ones in the league, a really high-level tight end, was in Oakland. They let him go, pick up Darren Waller, and now look. So that was a great evaluation there because Waller was nothing until he arrived to Oakland. You read his stats earlier. He was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Jared Cook played well for the Saints, but they get rid of Cook, get somebody cheaper, and evaluated that really well, and then he goes and kicks the Saints' butt last night. And forget what Colin Cowherd says. He's doing it with a below-average quarterback as well. 
Is uh, is Colin a big Dave uh, Car? Excuse me, Car guy. Well, Not David Carr. You know Derek how Carr. these these national guys go. The re, the overreaction to one result is amazing. Today he said Derek Carr is on the same level as Aaron Rodgers. He played what? one pretty good game where he got to dump the ball off all night, and he's on the same tier as Aaron Rodgers. Clay Travis this morning said that he is an elite-level quarterback. It's like, guys, even last night he didn't show you that. And he was good. Yeah. But that's what you get. And clearly he's good enough to be an NFL quarterback, but you want to compare him to Aaron Rodgers. Come on, man. Get get out of here. Come on. Get out. You can go somewhere else with that. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Are we in Columbia, South Carolina? Yes, Woo! we are. Or, or is that Saturday morning Memphis wrestling? <laughs> the nature bar! Dave and Lance. Every time you play that, Borky, I think about that. I don't think so much about South Carolina and the Gamecock dropping down no. from behind the curtain. No. It is Saturday morning wrestling. It's not what you're thinking of, hey, Dad. It was Memphis Saturday morning wrestling. The little bronze statue on a rotating platform. That was it. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, so I got a question for you. We're talking about Deion Sanders being officially officially introduced yesterday as um, head coach at Jackson State. I actually caught part of his, I, I mean, I guess it's originally a podcast and then it's re-aired on, on Barstool Radio last night. It's called 21st and Prime. And it was, I think there was a fourth person, but I never figured out who it was. It was like there was somebody that was kind of hosting it. And you had Dion there. And then you had the president of Jackson State and the athletics director at Jackson State. So first of all, is he really like officially going by the name Coach Prime? I mean, I, I don't. That's I how the president of the to. university and the AD were referring to him as Coach Prime. That's fine. If we have him on this show, what are you going to say, Dion? Okay, I like Coach Prime. I think that's. I mean, a pretty good brand. I get what he's trying to do there, and the branding is good, but. You know, or, or, or if if I see a media member refer to him as Coach Prime in a press conference type, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna judge that person. If we get a chance to visit with him, I'll ask him about it. Yeah. And there aren't that many athletes who are solely called by their nickname, and I'm not saying that he is solely called by his nickname. But, but if you say if you say prime, you know who you're talking about. Or if somebody says Deion Sanders, the first reply is, "Oh, you mean prime time? Prime, prime. time? Yeah, but exactly. Bo, if I if I say Bo, you know who I'm talking about. You know. Yes, but that's his A-Rod. actual name. Well, I mean, his name, I, his, name is, his name is Vincent. I understand that, but he went by Bo Jackson. But it's a nickname. Yes, but not a nickname in the sense of you know, you know, earned. Rockin' or you know, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Or, it's on a wrestling or, kick, I love it. You know, I mean the guy's name was Randy Savage, but everybody called him the Macho Man. Fair enough. Okay. There, so there's some guys. But people don't call Michael Jordan, hey, what's up, Air? I don't I don't think so. 
I could be wrong. I mean, it was a marketing tool. Anyway, just curious. Did you see the all the, 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 the controversy today? Well, I was going to ask a question, and, and, and then we'll and maybe it's related. Yeah. Is he going to continue working for Barstool Sports as the head coach of Jackson State? Certainly appears to be the case. It appears to be that case, yeah. He launched his po- he had made the the confirmation of the announcement on his podcast, which is owned by Barstool Sports. So his first guest was Jerry Jones. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that's going to continue. So Deion Sanders recorded a video today that was put out on Twitter, looked like he was in the weight room, imploring a Jackson State student or multiple Jackson State students to apply to be part of the Viceroy squad, the Barstool Viceroy squad, and said, you know, fastest growing media company, most influential media company in the world, Barstool, gave an email address and all that. So is this the controversy you were discussing? No, no. Uh, there was a tweet earlier uh, in the day from Joe oh. Cook of WABT Sports where he basically outlined all of uh, the yeah. coaching staff and had some guys <laughs> on there like Warren Sapp and uh, I'm trying to find the original tweet. It has since been deleted. It was T.O. Uh, T.O. was going to be the wide T.O. receivers T.O. was coach. on there. And then, and then some other coaches that were actual coaches. I, I think he had uh, Jason Phillips, who's, been in a, who's the offensive coordinator for Utah State. And uh, Dennis Thurman, who's been a, a longtime NFL and college coach. So it, it was a staff that I liked, to be totally honest with you. Dion immediately caught hold of that and said, not true. None of that's true. And, of course, my first thought is, well, Jackson State said you weren't coming either. So I don't know how to, how to take all that. But and at a press and, uh, conference today, he said his staff, has he's been working on his staff for months. So yesterday it was he got the suit weeks ago. Now it's... I've been talking to my staff for months. So, well, he's been looking for a job for months. So maybe he already had, you know, some. I, I, yeah. I don't have an issue with that. But no, yes. I don't either. I just think it's funny. So we'll see what happens. You know. So, so not only did he say it was not true, he said, "And this is not a good way for you to start with me," or or something yeah. along those lines. That's correct. Warren Sapp had a more uh, 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 strong statement about it, which I cannot repeat on the air. I, I, can you allude to what he said? He said, let me put it to you this way, Mississippi blank no. Ooh, Warren. Go away, yeah. man. Yeah. Doesn't want to live in the Magnolia State. Our friend Deuce didn't seem to like that oh, verbiage when something? talking about Mississippi. On, uh, nice. I'll have to look that up now. He, wasn't, he was classy like Deuce is, but you could tell he didn't very much appreciate it. Good for Deuce. Always appreciate it when folks stand up for the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Hour in the books. We're going to talk with Brody Miller. Covers LSU for The Athletic when we continue. Sports Talk Mississippi. Quick message on the Ceasefire text line before we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. There was never a more exciting moment of the week than when you were a kid at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning when the championship wrestling music hit on TV. Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, Dutch Mantel, Coco, beware. Going way back there for you, hey, Dad. And then this, just from a second ago, we were asking the question of, is the Coach Prime thing real? Uh, Here's what Coach Prime has to say about that. Hey, it's, it's done. I think the ink is dry. It has happened. 
Start calling me Coach Brown from now on because I'm not going to answer anything else. That was Deion Sanders on a video on Twitter. And with that, we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Brody, is it okay if we call you Brody, or is there something else that you would prefer we refer to you as? I mean, if we can come up with something cool, I'm open-minded. But but Brody, Brody works for me. We'll go with Brody right now. I want to start with a yeah, but question for you. Here's what I mean. So LSU loses roughly 327 starters from last year. Yeah, but Richard, the, uh, the they are recruiting at an exceptionally high level, and they're in reload, not rebuild, rebuild mode. I, I've heard both of those things a lot. So which is it? Yeah, I mean, like you know, it's a tricky answer because yes, LSU is really talented. Still, they're still they have a top five class. You know, like each of the last few years, and they have a lot of really good players that are probably going to be really high draft picks over the next, you know, one to four years, you know, but, but I mean, yeah, of course it's, it's a lot of inexperience. It's a lot of guys that are probably going to have some growing pains. You're replacing probably the best offense I've ever seen in my entire life. So yeah. they're going to take a huge step back. Of course they are, you know, and, and I, it's a tricky thing to talk about with this team because, I do think there is upside, you know, like there is a chance this team does click and it really goes smoother than I think it will. And, you know, maybe they do still compete for an SEC West title because, yeah, I mean, the guys they're replacing, they're still replacing with, you know, like a five-star freshman receiver they're replacing Jamar Chase with. They're they're replacing, I don't know, Christian Fulton with a five-star corner, you know, like the guys coming in are really good and might be ready, but yeah, there's going to be more mistakes than there was last year. It might look closer to the 2018 season. You know, there's going to be some of those growing pains. So I don't, I mean, my prediction's about seven and three. You know, like I, I think there's going to be some, some weeks where they just don't have it, but they're still on paper easily way better than six teams they play, right? Yeah, I, I certainly would think <laughs> that I would agree with you on that. It's never too early to start the hype train for a particular player, although unless you're really following one team, this is probably a name that you don't recognize. Tell me more about Eric Gilbert, the freshman tight end out of high school, 6'5", 250 pounds, and already drawing some comparisons, this is a little premature, I think, to Calvin Johnson, despite the fact that he's listed as a tight end. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've been around for a little while. I mean, I, and I, I've even seen, you know, Derek, the, the hype around Derek Stingley, who's probably the most polished freshman I've ever seen in my life. But the hype around Eric Gilbert is something kind of crazy because, I mean, let's put it this way. He's the, he's technically a tight end, right? And like you said, 6'5", 250, and like genuinely quick and athletic. I mean, he's the highest rated tight end in the history of 24-7 sports, and he's the first tight end to ever win Gatorade National Player of the Year. And the point to really take away from that is, like, he's not a tight end. You know what I mean? Like, he can block, so he's going to play tight end. He's huge. But this guy is kind of – he does everything. He can be a true outside receiver. I mean, if you watch his Gatorade his, – his, I mean, his Georgia film, when he was playing, you know, amazing Georgia football teams in the top class, and he was taking screens for touchdowns. You know, he's just that kind of mm-hmm. – free ghastly who and i know lsu is going to move him all over the field they're not just going to use him like a true tight end and yeah i mean the the comparisons are kind of kind of crazy here a lot of calvin johnson is probably the most common one and i mean all indications are from people at lsu it's not like uh he's your norm I mean, they've had like i said they have five-star freshmen every year but normally it's like yeah you know they'll be in the rotation you know or like yeah they'll see the ball a little bit but eric gilbert it's 
it's pretty much like he's coming in day one and he's going to be, I don't know, their second best for, you know, target already. And I think he's going to be a first or second team All-SEC guy. I know it sounds crazy and I was so skeptical, but through this first month of camp, I mean, every single practice, and he like doesn't, you know, I've heard like he went the first two weeks without dropping a ball. They've had three scrimmages, and I think he had at least a 40-yard touchdown in at least two of them. You know, he, mm. he just keeps dominating this team, so he really does seem like he might be the real deal. We'll see this week. Brody, you touched on it, and you were kind of alluding to creativity. You said they're going to move him around a lot. To me, that was one of the coolest things about watching LSU last year. You, you look up and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who does not have the physique of a typical wide receiver, outside wide receiver, you look up and he's lined up you know, four yards off the sideline, and, and they did a lot of creative things with him. So you think that continues even in the absence of Joe Brady? You know, I, I, my answer is, I mean, I don't think the play calling and all the creativity is going to be as sharp as it was with Joe Brady. Probably not. I think, I think Joe Brady is probably a, you find every few years kind of, you know, sharp, creative mind. You know, I don't think, I don't think all that's going to be the same, but I will say, I mean, Steve Enzinger is a good play caller. He's a good offensive coordinator. And now he has the scheme that Joe Brady taught him. Right. So I think, you know, there is going to be some continuity there. And then, Scott Linehan obviously comes in and he's considered like this boring journeyman name and maybe he is, I don't know, but he is, he's still an NFL head coach and NFL offensive coordinator who is now just a, a passing game coordinator of a college team. So, you know, he's overqualified for that job and, and I, and I'm not even sure what he's going to provide. I'm not even hyping up the Scott Linehan hire by any means, but, but what I'll say is the one thing they really liked about him when they brought him in and really sold them on him was that he has a lot of experience, and it's something the NFL is used to, is, is moving those guys around. It's, it's knowing how to get he coached Calvin Johnson, for example. He knows how to get you know, Calvin Johnson in the slot, in the outside, you know, like putting him in the backfield sometimes, putting him in as many different situations as they can, one, to just create mismatches, two, to try to confuse the defense so they can never really double-team him. That's the real goal, and, I know, and from what I've heard around LSU, that's Scott Linehan's responsibility is a big part of that. So I do think you will see creativity moving guys around i don't know if the personnel is going to be as incredible to you know to be able to do it like for example clyde edwards lair did but and I'm, i don't even think the play calling is going to be as creative but i do think you'll see some cool schematic stuff hey brody it's brian that sort of leads into the next question then for miles brennan you know obviously replacing a heisman trophy winner and a guy who may have had the greatest season in college football history you know, no maybe what is a real okay what is a realistic expectation for brennan this year you know, I think the realistic expectation has to be that he's somebody with a really big arm who, you know, has a lot of, you know, like, well, arm talent. And he's going to have some really good games, I imagine. You know, I, I'm sure we're going to have him, like, have at least one or two games where, like, holy shit, you know, holy crap, this guy's really good. But I also think he is a guy from everything I've heard from these scrimmages, you know, still needs to develop his ability to look off receivers, still needs to you know, develop his ability to read defenses and make the right call, you know, because that's Joe Burrow's biggest strength. As much as we want to talk about his, like, you know, scrambling or accuracy and all these things, Joe Burrow's greatest, you know, ability is his processing ability, his ability to, like, no matter what, make the right decision and read a defense in millisecond. I don't think Miles Brennan's there yet. That's not me saying he's bad. I just think he's, you know, okay at it. And I think it's something he needs to develop. So I, I think he's going to have games where he probably lets them down. He might, you know, he might cost them a game. I think that's realistic. He also might win them a game because he does have that upside and that talent and that arm and, and a pretty loaded skill position to throw, uh, skill position group to throw to. So all of that is a long-winded way of saying I think the expectation just has to be 
you know, he's he's a B. You know, he's a B quarterback, and a B quarterback with that talent around him can totally still have a really good year and be a top ten team. It's still better than what else you probably had at quarterback for for the last few decades. So it's kind of a relativity thing there. That was a pretty good catch, Brody. That's a family you, you program. Saved, you sir. saved yourself nicely was, there from, from I, an I just FCC got off fine. my podcast. I just got off my podcast where I can say whatever I want, and I, I got a little too eager. Yeah, yeah Bob, okay. good lord. Good, yeah, yeah, good catch. Um, there have been a lot of people that have said, you know, if you're Mississippi State, you're catching LSU at the right time. Two starters back on offense, three back on defense. It's not a night game. It's not a packed house at Tiger Stadium. Is there anything to that, especially when you add in the, okay, yeah, we know Mike Leach's offense, but you've never seen it in the SEC? No, I, I think there's that's absolutely something to it. I think it goes both ways. I, you know, what else you got a schedule, for example, I wrote about how they got the biggest gift they could and the fact that they start with, you know, three games that, I mean, they're actually SEC teams. They're all good, but three teams that LSU is a 19 to 20 point favorite of, you know? So I, I thought, talked about how big that was for them, but that goes both ways because I wrote about that because they need that warm up. And the point, yeah. And the point is they, they, they are going to be rusty and you have a brand new quarterback and a whole new defensive scheme. And I'm like, I think their defense, I personally think the defense could be really, really good in 2020, but there is still a lot of new, you have two new starting line, well, three new starting linebackers, uh, two new starting defensive ends, a lot of youth at corner, even though I think corner is pretty loaded. All that said, there's absolutely a scenario where they could you know, catch him at the right time because it is a Mike Leach scheme that can definitely keep people on their toes. So, yeah, I, I totally think there's some validity to that. I mean, at the end of the day, I think I think LSU should you know take care of business here, but no part of me would be shocked if, if Mississippi State makes this a, a really good ballgame. Saturday afternoon in Tiger Stadium, 2.30 on CBS. Brody Miller from The Athletic covers LSU, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Thanks so much, Brody. Oh, thanks for having me as always, guys. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to him tomorrow. A little mad at you, Borky. Oh, yeah? Yeah, was it last week or the week before where you were sniffling and Sinus infectioning. I think you just passed it right on down the radio line. Thanks. That's why you should wear the You're mask welcome. in the studio. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Have you yeah, sneezed my... in a in a public place yet? Uh no, I'm really not sneezing much. It's more like just kind of stopped up. Oh, the reaction is hilarious. So I a few weeks ago, I sneezed in the grocery store and it was pretty crowded. It was after the show. So, you know, 6 o'clock, there are a lot of people at the grocery store. I sneezed, and it, like, echoed through the entire place. And every person in there went, and just stared at me. Yeah. And well, I, had to, I was like, it's not that, I promise. And <clears throat> But, yeah. You know, it's not helping that we are, uh, hey, Dad, you'd love this. I, I re- in fact, if you want to come help, you're welcome to. We're going through the process of moving right now. And so, <laughs> I'm sorry. What are you laughing about over there? <laughs> so we've only been in this house a couple of years, but we have found that some of the things that we stored in the attic that were in boxes that were taped up when we moved into this house, we are now moving the boxes that were taped up when we moved into the house two years ago. You know that's a sign of that's probably something you don't need. But in going through that and cleaning out a storage unit and whatever, I mean, it's like this big dust haven. So I'm probably not helping myself all that much. But 
What are you going to do? There are be- the odds are better of me showing up to Oxford in a powder blue polo with a red pom-pom than they are to come help you move. I'll come help you do other stuff, but move is not one of them. I'm what, already, what is the Say what, Morky? Oh, I'm already the weirdest person that probably all of you know. Uh, I don't mind moving, like helping people move. I hate yeah, it myself. Yeah, but, but, your, but your ankle is still a bum ankle, so you can't help. I could probably do it now. I'm not well, driving up there nice to do it, but I, see, I I've always, I've always said you can really figure out who your friends are when it's time to move. Not because of who is willing to help you move, but because of who you ask to help you move. Because you wouldn't really ask a good friend to help you move. <laughs> That's right. It's like, <laughs> wait, I thought you liked me, man. Yeah. You asked me to yeah. help you move? No. Yeah. My wife no, and I just moved do ourselves. We didn't ask anybody to help because we knew yeah. better. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the way you go. So anyway, uh, C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan. That's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull, cspire.com. Love to hear from you. And uh, we have heard from a bunch of uh, you, including this guy that agrees with me. He says, if we are friends, don't ask me to help move. Jeff in Grenada says, a good friend offers to pay half of three men in a truck. There you go. (laughs) Now we're on to something. There you go. King Biscuit says, moving is horrible. Only two years? It's hard to hide money. That costs money. Or maybe that's the whole reason you do it. If you're, if, you're, if you're looking at that in a, a bit of a, a different way, yeah. we got to get um, those T-shirts into the uh, the store, Borky, the cross-money right. T-shirts. With the do I get a complimentary being... ones of those, or do I have to pay Absolutely. for it? Absolutely. No, you have Absolutely. to pay for it. No, no, we'll get it. It's no. the name, image, likeness. we got to give him one. <laughs> the S's are going to be dollar signs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, me. It's just your outline, cross money, hashtag. So Nick Saban has for a long time been outspoken about wanting to play more than eight conference games. He's kind of kicked around the number of nine, not opposed to the idea of ten. And earlier this week, Nick Saban continued his long-standing push for the SEC to expand its conference schedule in football. And he found an unexpected audience, and that audience was Monday Night Football. Saban was one of several high-profile guests during ESPN's simulcast of the Las Vegas Raiders-New Orleans Saints game last night. You had Reese Davis and Kirk Curbstreet on there. You had Charles Barkley and Peyton Manning on there. Guy Fieri for some reason. Who? Uh, Super Chef Guy Fieri. I thought it was Fieri. Nope. It's Fieri. It's actually Fairy. He he, uh, he he Italianized his name. Where does the T come from? Isn't there an R in his last I, name? That's how Man, he's, that's that... how he pronounces it. I don't know. You don't eat spaghetti. <laughs> Good point. So Saban appeared on the uh, MegaCast last night, and Reese Davis and Kirk Herbstreet asked Nick Saban whether he would favor making permanent the 10-game schedule that the SEC has enacted this year. He says, I would, absolutely. I've always wanted to play more SEC games. I think from a fan standpoint, it's great for the fans to see quality games. I've even said that 
I think we should only play Power 5 schools, all 12 games. I think it would actually make it a little easier to determine because of the cross-section of teams that you have in the five different conferences playing each other. It would be a little easier to figure out who has the best teams. But it's also great for the players. I think every player who plays in the SEC, Big Ten, whatever conference they're in, it's a good experience for them to have an opportunity to play every team in the league. Players shouldn't come to the University of Alabama and not get the opportunity to play Florida or Georgia or some of the other schools in the East that have great programs. I think if we played more games in the SEC, it would provide players the opportunity to do that. It's an opportunity for players to create great value for themselves because they're playing against outstanding competition every week. What do you make of all that? I want to agree with him. I do, because I think it would be more compelling. But it's very easy to sit in his position and ask for a Power 5-only schedule in 10 conference games because he's still going to have a better roster than everybody else's. It's like when you have when you see celebrities talking about how they think taxes should be raised. Well, it doesn't affect you. You've got right. millions. What a great analogy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's right. It's great for Alabama. For Mississippi State, where I'm sure Mike Leach and Ole Miss, where Lane Kiffin, have contract incentives to go to bowl games, it's not so good. It's not so good when you're going to put yourself in that kind of situation. So, yeah, when you're Alabama and you can count on no matter who you play, you're probably at worst a toss-up, and that's when you're playing Ohio State or Clemson and basically nobody else. And then everybody else you're a two-touchdown favorite over. It's easy to make those kind of statements. Okay, so you're you're saying from the standpoint of you know you're trying to get to six or seven wins and get to a bowl game every year because you're in the process of program building and trying to build momentum and you know show that you're consistently getting the postseason so or, that you can you can recruit better. But or even if you're you're only, you're winning eight or nine games and you're sort of at your program ceiling, which is where I would say Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Missouri, that's about where they are. And that's either going four and four in the league and four and zero in your non-conference, or three and one and five and three, and and that's a pretty good football season when yeah. you do that. But let me ask you from the perspective that Nick Saban mentioned, whether he really believes this or not, would it be better for fans? Would you, as a fan? Hey, Dan, let's just make this about Mississippi State. Sure. Would you rather see Mississippi State play 10 SEC games and two Power 5 schools and know that 50% of the time you're not going to get to 6-6? Six and six? No. Or, I mean, or, or you want to win. Or would you rather play eight SEC games, three gimmies, a middle of the road power five team and know that you got a chance to get to eight and go play in Nashville in January. Yes, that's what you would prefer. That's what you should prefer. I subscribe to the Scott Strickland theory on this. I'd rather play those power five teams in December and January than September and October. Okay. What about you, know, you Bowl games are the rewards. Uh, I lean in that direction as well. And, and- if you're one of these programs, and there's a lot of them that simply cannot compete for national championships, Wake Forest, for example. I mean, Haydad even thinks that Ole Miss and Mississippi State can't do it, and he's I don't he's probably not wrong. So when you're one of those programs, the key to 
success and sustainability. And at the end of the day, this is kind of a business, right? You've got to make money and you've got to get fan support and people that will donate and have your towns be buzzing. And if you're constantly churning out losing seasons because you're playing nothing but a difficult schedule, it's going to be tough to get people to, to buy into your program financially. But if you're winning six, seven, eight games a year and you get a nice little bowl trip, it's sustainable. And when you talk about a Power 5-only schedule, how does Southern Miss survive? If they can't go to Auburn and get a million seven to play one game. Yeah. And it's not Alabama's problem, but still, I would like to have Group of Five football remain intact. And without those games, they don't. Derek in Greenwood says fans want to see their team skull drag somebody every great once in a while. <laughs> That's the truth. It's therapeutic. But you also only have 37,000 fans show up to watch that. It depends. If you're a good team, people will show up. Greg Sankey, by the way, doesn't agree with Nick Saban. We'll tell you what he said next. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. A lot of interaction on the uh, ceasefire text line on the idea of uh, Nick Saban saying, yeah, let's do 10 conference games. Not only let's do 10 conference games, but let's uh, play two Power 5 schools in addition. So, here you go. From a fan that has to pay for tickets, it would make buying season tickets easier knowing you'll get to see six good games instead of three SEC teams and three crap games that make you think twice about going when you leave at halftime. I've stayed for full games when State is getting killed to watch an Alabama or LSU. I don't, I that don't has know players that I'll never from. get to see play again in person. I don't really know where that guy's buying tickets from. You get seven yeah, you, games. You get, you get four yeah, you SEC get, games and three other games. Yeah, but you understand the point he's making. Even if he's I do, numbers. And, and I understand Mike and Oxford's point as well, and that, that's that's fine. He says he'd you know rather play 10 plus 2 and lose half than – then beat you know a bunch of, of nobodies and that's great. But you also have to say the following: I am cool going to a bowl game one or two times in five years. Yeah, Ole Miss has been to two in five years. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Are you, are you cool with that? The two were awesome. Well, I mean, well, the yeah, result of one of them I'm wasn't saying. great, but the other one, yeah. You see, you see uh, what I'm saying? You it's know? easy and then, I mean, to say it now when you're not losing. Yeah. Then if you got into into the suck, no, you're if you right. will, that changes perspective some. Yeah, after after three straight years of you know four and eight, four and eight, five and seven, you'd be like, this sucks. Yeah, give me UConn, <laughs> please. <laughs> Where is Southeast Missouri State when you need them? Somebody wanted to uh, well actually me. No name on this. Incorrect, Richard. Tim Couch ran a leech offense in the SEC at Kentucky and set records. That is a true statement. Mike Leach was not the head coach. He was the offensive coordinator. It was his offense. I get it. And yes, Tim Couch, unbelievably talented guy. And they did set records. They never quite got over the hump. Kind of a similar situation, too, in that, I mean, before they got there, Bill Curry was trying to teach Tim Couch to run the wishbone. So, mm. you know, it was a big switch for them. And they, they offensively, they were very successful early. Yeah. No, they were. Craig East. 
That's a name I haven't thought of in a really long time. Good receiver for Kentucky back in the day. Yeah, he was. Um, so I mentioned that Greg Sankey is not on board with the idea from Nick Saban. He was, uh, was asked about it, and Greg Sankey appearing on Alabama's season preview radio show on Saturday was asked about the possibility of moving forward, continuing to play more conference games than the traditional eight. He said it's a strange year, and it has to be understood in that context. It will be a learning experience for all of us to play 10 games. I appreciate the input on nine games, but it creates some oddities on home and away balance. I don't know that that's really ever been a great focus. The terms of playing 10 games were really dictated to us by the presence of COVID-19 and trying to think through what the best way to name an SEC championship uh, champion was this year, and it was control our schedules. We haven't varied from that in the future. The reality is... We don't know what next year will look like, to be honest. We hear a lot about a vaccine and this and that, immunity. But I don't know what next year will look like. I hope that it's back to normal. And if it is back to normal, our plan is to play the eight conference games. Nick Saban has been an advocate of this for a long time. But within the SEC ecosystem, if he's not on an island of one, he's pretty close to it. Because, hey, Dad, I think most coaches think the way you think. I think most administrators think the way you think. They definitely do, because they need that money coming in. I think the commissioner, generally speaking, thinks the way you think, but maybe not for the same reason. I think Greg Sankey's rationale probably is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And... In terms of getting to the playoff, getting multiple teams into the playoff, playing for a national championship, yet yes, I do realize that two years in a row Alabama has not been a participant in the championship game. But all right, maybe we haven't. Have, sorry, should say hasn't won a national championship in two years. But it ain't broke. The other thing to remember is, I mean, we have all these bowl games. That's a lot of money is tied up in. And if, if you have teams that you expect to go to bowl games, I mean, right now, the SEC, you expect eight, nine, maybe ten teams to go to bowl games. If that number goes down to five, you know, who's playing in these games? And I know, oh, there's too many bowl games. Well, first off, you can shut up because there's not too many bowl games. But secondly, I mean, th- those are, that's a legit question. Those games are all, they exist. Nobody's going to shut down the bowl games. And nobody, it's certainly not going to shut down 20 of them. No, you're right. So if you don't have the requisite number of teams, you start letting five win teams into bowl games. Oh, then, I mean, and everybody likes about bowl games being participation trophies, which, again, I don't care. I'm going to watch them. But, I mean, these same people are saying, we should play this many games. Okay, well, we do that. We're going to have to let five wins. Oh, that's not acceptable either. Well, well but hold on a second. Hold on. Now, now, let me play devil's advocate. Okay. A five and seven... SEC team that played 10 conference games and two Power 5 games arguably is, is maybe even a lot better than a 6-6 six and six SEC team that went 2-6 and six in the conference, beat Presbyterian, 
southeastern Louisiana, New Mexico State, and Rutgers. You might be right, but regardless of that, it's it, the people who are going to complain that the, that the SEC teams play these patsies are also going to complain if five and seven teams or four and eight teams, which there would probably be some. There's a common the thread there. Teams. Yeah. People complaining. You're right. Yeah. People complain about everything. Newsflash. Games involving top 25 teams this weekend. Number of games kind of goes up this week because you've got about half of the SEC ranked. Kansas State is at Oklahoma. Kansas State playing for the first time since losing at home to Louisiana Lafayette. Arkansas State. That's right, Arkansas State. Louisiana beat Iowa State. Sorry. Wrong Sun Belt Big 12 upset. Florida Ole Miss, Florida ranked. Yeah, no doubt. Florida ranked fifth in the country at Ole Miss. Top 25 matchup in Auburn with Kentucky and Auburn. Kentucky checking in at 23, Auburn at 8. Number 13, UCF is at East Carolina where they are a 27-point favorite. Had they been a 27-point favorite last week on the road against Georgia Tech, you know what they would have done? They would have covered. Yeah. Saw somebody, an odds maker today, put out a line if UCF was to play every team in Florida. According to this odds maker, they'd be a favorite in every game. The Florida game would be a one-point favorite in favor of UCF. I think that's ridiculous, but yeah. Obviously, they'd be favored against South Florida and FAU and FIU. Obviously, at this point, they would be favored against Florida State. Mm-hmm. It was Florida was the closest. Miami was next, and then Florida State. I think they were a, like a thirteen point favorite over. Whew. Hypothetical, but, of course, but still. I mean, Miami's kind of the hottest team in the country right now, aren't they? Only two weeks in. Georgia Southern is at number 19, Louisiana, who had to come from behind. It took a while to get going against uh, Georgia State. They're at home this weekend, first home game for Louisiana. Top 25 matchup in the ACC, Louisville and Pittsburgh. (laughs) Because nothing says ACC like Louisville and Pittsburgh. Louisville at 1-1 one one is 24th. Pittsburgh off to a 2-0 and start. They're ranked 21st. Mississippi State at number 6, LSU. Number 8, Texas, who did not play last week, goes to Texas Tech, who did not play last week. Texas coming off a just rout in their opening game against UTEP. Texas Tech by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin against Houston Baptist. But wins nonetheless. All right, tell me. Is this the most entertaining matchup this weekend? Number 22, Army, off to a 2-0 start at number 14, Cincinnati, who is 1-0. Cincinnati is a 14-point favorite. Yeah, be careful, man. Army will get the lead and hold on to it like grim death. You said most entertaining. In a weekend where Vanderbilt goes to Texas A&M and this is the most entertaining? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying. (laughs) Vanderbilt put four quarterbacks as their starter. There's guy or guy or guy or guy. 
Yikes. Lou Holtz always said, if you have four quarterbacks, you don't have any. (laughs) Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be back. College football fix is just around the corner. Interesting piece of technology that the SEC is adding to its COVID efforts. We'll get to that coming up in uh, in just a little bit. Also in the 5 o'clock hour, we will spend a little bit of time. We will not completely steal Borky's Friday mega prep session. The one where he says he asked the same three questions of two different teams each week and gobbles up two segments on Fridays? First of all. We're not going to ruin that. First of all, it's two questions. Two questions, sorry. What's the one thing blank must do? What's the one thing blank can't do? As the curator of content, I think that segment delivers some pretty good content. I think it it does well. I mean, we had somebody ask us to answer those two questions earlier. We did, and that's what I was getting at, was uh, we will not entirely... Uh, take up all of the ammo for that segment on Friday, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about what Mississippi State's got to do. What What's the recipe for an upset for Mississippi State? Would it be an upset? I mean, I guess in terms of Vegas, in terms of rankings and all those things, it would be an upset. Yeah, it would be an upset. What am, who am I kidding? It's yes. an upset. Very much so. What would you the recipe a- be for Mississippi State to pull off an upset? a game where you're a 19 and a half point underdog, it's an upset. Um, what's the recipe for Ole Miss? We'll get into that in the uh, in the five o'clock hour. Let's finish looking though at these games uh, involving top twenty-five teams this weekend. Few left. Borky can't wait for Army in Cincinnati. Man, I love Jeff Munkin, and I yep. love Luke Fickle. Yep, I'm not watching a snap. It does kick off at 2.30, yeah, which I'm happens a... to be the same time that uh, another game of interest busy. in these parts kicks yeah. off. Will you even flip over in the commercial breaks, hey, Dad, or just straight Twitter at that point? You know, I'm a, I'm pretty good with the remote. I'm handy with that thing, so we'll, we might have to give it a try. So I'll be done cooking at that point. So West Virginia goes on the road to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. Cowboys are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. They better learn how to score. Yeah. Oklahoma State's got to be better than they were last week. Right? You would think. You would think. I mean, I know that offense. This is a Mike Gundy offense. They have to be better than that. I don't know about, you know, can they maintain that kind of defense, but yeah, it's kind of weird, right? It feels like their offense should be better, and I, I would expect their defense to be worse. Georgia is at Arkansas. That one's at 3 o'clock on the SEC Network. 26.5 is the number in the game. 6 o'clock. Excuse me. You didn't hear that, but I sneezed, Borky. But nobody was around to hear it, so nobody had the adverse reaction. So you clearly have the ability to not do that during the break, and yet here we are. Do what? You clearly have the ability to not sneeze... Or to sneeze and not have everybody hear it, but during the break you like forget where that button is. I just, it just yes, sorry. <laughs> I'm I think I I'm apologize when that I happens, did that. But 
Yeah, Alabama at Missouri, 27. that a big enough number? You feel comfortable laying 27 in the season opener for Alabama? I would. We talked about this the other day, didn't we? That Alabama is notorious for like not getting there on these big lines sometimes. That, but not uh, in openers. They didn't. They're they unbelievable didn't, in openers. Last year they didn't get it because I bet it. They they did not get the uh, the line against Duke. Okay, maybe I should say openers against marquee opponents. Mizzou typically is a marquee good. opponent now. Missouri has some pieces. You know, veteran offensive line, good running back, couple pieces on defense. If they weren't hit by COVID and we don't know who, they got pieces. They do. They, they do I have, have some, some pieces. I got a computer. I got a microphone right here. I got some pieces. Yeah, they've got some nice pieces. Um, but now they've got double-digit guys out with COVID, and we don't know who they are, but that changes things a little bit. Eli Drinkwitz said uh, today or yesterday, what, five got five or six of them are back? Yeah, they're going to play. Didn't specify who. All right, so 27, questionable. 31, though. Texas A&M is only a 31-point favorite against Vanderbilt. Am I crazy for thinking that this game has like 52 to 7 written all over it? You are not crazy for thinking that. Okay. I kind of hope Derek Mason goes with the four quarterback system. The Notre Dame box, all of them. All at the same time? Yeah, yeah, just go with it. Whoever's the best runner is is back there. Whoever's the biggest can be the blocking back, and you figure it out. Run the quarterback triple option. Fake the dive to one, have one obviously playing actual quarterback. And have the other one be in the pitch, man? That'd be great. It's the PPO, the pass-pass option. (laughs) Miami's an 11-point favorite hosting Florida State in South Florida. Number 16, Tennessee, 3.5-point favorite at South Carolina. Virginia Tech, 7-point favorite at home over NC State. And BYU, a 14-point favorite in Provo over Troy. Here we go, 5 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming uh, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll get to the college football fix coming up in just a little while. Right now, we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Harris is the sideline reporter for the Houston Texans and good friend of the program. Johnny, what's up, man? we got to get your boys playing a little bit better. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, I first would like to get this tropical storm out of here. Um, I think this is probably about the third or fourth that we have tracked and watched all summer long. I guess we're into fall now. Uh, and so uh, we want tar- tropical storm beta to get the heck out of here. So get that out of here and maybe the tropical season will be over for once in Houston. We get down to win some football games at that point. Yeah, at least you get a roof on the stadium, though. Yeah. Well, Not that that necessarily helps with flooding, I understand, but uh, nevertheless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody jokes around here because Bill O'Brien never opens the roof. Uh, it stays closed. And so it was like, well, why don't we just build a dome stadium and not a retractable roof? And I was like, yeah. well, you know, that's, what are you going to do, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was actually closed the other day for our game. It was pouring down rain and partially part of it because of beta. And as I was doing one of my sideline hits, I'm up in my sideline moat, so I'm up in basically the first row of the stands. And all of a sudden, I felt this kept dripping on me. I'm like, what the heck? I look up, and it's dripping in from the roof because it was raining so hard. So, uh, yeah, our roof needs a little bit of help at this point. 
John, let me ask you this. You, you've seen both of these guys up close and personal. Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. How close are those two in terms of, of talent? I, I know you're a huge Mahomes guy, but are they close? Uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm trying to think of the right way the right way to put this because I think they're both uber talented. I mean, Lamar Jackson, when you see him up close and you see him down on a field and you see how fast he is, and you know that field is just filled with fast guys, and he's running by everybody. You're like, God dang it. But then you see him do things where he'll drive, you know, you'll see Patrick do that from time to time, you know, baseball style, kind of drop sidearm like he's flipping one from short over to second for a double play. Lamar does the same thing. They're just talented in different ways, but they can hurt you so similarly that you have to respect everything they do. I mean, we ended up with four sacks on Lamar the other day, and it felt like, you know, pass rush is finally getting there. But then he would just, throw balls in between little, you know, spaces in between defenders. And you're like, how did he get that ball in there? And you say that all the time with Mahomes. But yet, if you think, ah, well, you know, Mahomes is not Lamar Jackson, you know, as a runner, Mahomes then scrambles on you, fights through a couple of tackles, and takes one 30 yards on you on third and 20. So, you know, they're both supremely talented. But just, I think, the, the asset that we connect to each guy Lamar Jackson's speed, Patrick Mahomes' arm, you could take those assets and put it on the other guy and go, yeah, you know, Patrick's not the fastest guy in the world, but boy, he's fast enough. And Lamar doesn't throw it exactly like Patrick Mahomes does, but boy, he's got a pretty strong arm and throws it with some nice touch. So I think we fall into that category. And this happens a lot of times, Richard, um, I was going to say to broadcasters, because, you know, I work for an NFL team and everybody's like, well, what do you know about college football? I'm like, Huh, try me. I think it's the same thing for these guys. Oh, you can throw it really well. doesn't mean you can run, can it? Well, yeah, it can. You can be good at both. And I think that you see it with Lamar and you see it with Patrick, but you also see it with Kyler Murray. You do see it with Deshaun. You see it with so many more quarterbacks now that if guys are going to come to the league and just be statuesque Tom Brady throwers from the pocket, you're just not going to – I take it back. You're not even going to see those guys anymore in the league. Even a guy like Joe Burrow – he, he's so athletic that teams want to drop off and, and play coverage. He'll run a draw on them for 8 to 10 yards in a first down. So, uh, yeah, and another example, John, Josh Go Allen ahead. with Buffalo, who, who has oh. kind of that statuesque build, and then you watch a play the other day where he you know, just trucks a guy and then drags a defender for four yards. You know, they, in the playoff game that we played uh, Buffalo in the wild card game, they threw a reverse pass to him over on, on my sideline, on our sideline. And he caught the ball, I don't know, maybe about the 15-yard line, something like that. And he got to the goal line about as fast as I've seen a quarterback get to the goal line. Then he launches full out, dives for the end zone to get it in and got it in. I mean, Josh Allen is as uniquely talented as anybody. And he takes a lot of grief from people that just had this narrative of him coming out of Wyoming, and it was like, that's the quarterback he'll be in the NFL, a guy that will never improve. And Josh Allen has done nothing but improve. And my buddy is a sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills, and we talk a lot about our teams and what we got going on. And so I asked him a lot about Josh, and he's like, John, you won't believe This guy's gotten better every single week. And last week, he brings them back from behind in a game that they had no business being behind at Miami. 
But yeah. he brings them back from behind and makes a couple of great throws. Uh, he can run through you like a fullback. I mean, Josh Allen is the guy that can be really, really scary. And I'm telling you, over the AFC, between Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Lamar, Patrick, Deshaun, you know, Derek Carr showed last night what he could do in a John Gruden offense. Uh, I think Drew Locke is going to be a very good quarterback when he's healthy. I mean, there's, you know, seven, eight guys in the AFC. Oh, Justin Herbert, what he did against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. He didn't even know he was starting until right before the game. The AFC is going to be loaded with these young guns at quarterback, and it's really not going to be fun in that conference watching all these young guys that you got to face. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. We come off, we face Patrick, we face Lamar. Now we've got Ben. We got Aaron Rodgers on the schedule coming up. Um, you know, we're going to face Joe Burrow down the road. We're going to face Baker Mayfield, who had a bounce back game last week. I mean, it just doesn't get any easier in this league with the quarterbacks that we're seeing that are making life so miserable on defensive coordinators. It's unbelievable. There's so much I want to get to with you this afternoon. We've only got four or five minutes left. Let's let's go Drew Brees first. Are we dealing with Mark Twain here where rumors of his demise are greatly exaggerated, or is it time to write the obituary? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I saw him in week one last year down on the field, and I thought the velocity on his throws looked good. I thought he was sharp. But I, thought, I saw him later in the year just on television. He just didn't look as sharp. He just didn't look like he had as much zip and velocity. And – at some point, I do think that, and I don't know the states are going to take some hill, but I just see physically it really has taken a toll on Drew, and I just don't know how much he has left. I look at a guy like Ben Roethlisberger; he just went under the knife and got that whole his whole his whole elbow arm situation repaired. He looks like a different guy. Um, Drew looks kind of like the guy that ended last year and that the arm strength just isn't there. He doesn't look as confident in the throws that he can make. I want to believe, because I love Drew, I want to believe that it's not over for Drew, but the physical skills are telling a whole different story. I know they lost on Sunday night, but I had almost forgotten how much fun it is to watch a healthy Cam, Cam Newton. I'm, I've been a big fan of Cam for a long time. I mean, he, he was in Carolina, obviously. And my, uh, I have family who live in Charlotte, and I just I watch a lot of the Panthers games, and I just love Cam. I just love his spirit. I love seeing him smile. And I know he was polarizing the SEC. I mean, I, I get it, and I understand why he was polarizing. But I, I love the guy. And when he signed with the Patriots, I remember telling our play-by-play voice, I said, you know, I don't want to live to regret this day where 31 other teams did – or 30 other teams did <laughs> – at just least passed on shot him. at Cam. Yeah, and passed on him. But I got a feeling that's what we're headed towards. If he stays healthy, oh, that team is alive. They're alive. I would say live underdog. They're not going to be an underdog. They're going to be a live squad all year long. The way he's throwing it, the way he's driving that team, I think he has given that team a whole different spirit. Um, and I think they needed it. I think they needed somebody like Cam to come in with a whole different set of eyes and just show them a different way of doing things. And I think Cam needed New England to show him a different way of doing things. And I think they're putting it together, and I think they're going to be a very tough out, no matter whenever you face those guys, as long as Cam is healthy for them. Now, they can't keep running 15 to 17 times a game. But if they limit that to 8 to 10, not taking as many hits, he's using Edelman, he gets relied, or he can start relying on one of the young tight ends, maybe, some of these young receivers, they take some of the heat off him. They're going to be alive out, man. I do not want to face them later in the year. But 
we do. Just another one of the quarterbacks that we've got to face this year. John, am I wrong for saying, and I don't know what the final record is going to be. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team when it's all said and done. But the Arizona Cardinals are fun. And I feel like they're fun because of Kyler Murray and they've drafted pretty well. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, you would have to bring that up. I'm glad you didn't say DeAndre Hopkins uh, because Hop makes them really, really fun. Uh, and I miss Hop. I'll be honest, I miss him. I think we miss him. Um, we're trying to live life. We're trying to adapt to life without him. I think Arizona has adapted to life with him. But watching Kyler Murray is just fun. I mean, it really is. I mean, I've been watching him since his days at Allen High School. It's fun. I mean, it yeah. really is. So from that perspective, man, it's, it's really fun to watch him make fast, grown men look silly and he does he just those little legs he's just running all around people and you're like what is he doing but he's doing the same thing he did at allen high school and he's making it look easy yeah the cardinals i think will eventually falter because i don't think the defense is all that good but they're going to be fun to watch and they're going to be a tough out for anybody over in the nfc west that's for sure yeah i agree with you john always appreciate your time uh, hopefully we can do this again soon Absolutely, Richard. Take care and enjoy this weekend, my friend. John Harris from the Houston Texans. Jay Harris Football on Twitter. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. College Football Fix is next. Good chat with John Harris from the Houston Texans on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. It'll be part of the show. You can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with the Seaspire Business Internet and Phone Bundle, backed by real support. See how Seaspire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Time right now for the college football fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. This is Truck Month. Great savings on the F-150, the Super Duty, and the Ford Ranger. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Just a few minutes, we will get into kind of some what's got to happen. What's the the recipe for an upset for Ole Miss against Florida, for Mississippi State on the road against LSU? But first... The SEC is providing cutting-edge wearable proximity devices. By the way, if you stopped right there, you would say, hold on a second, they're putting tracking monitors on players? Well, kind of, but not full-time. These are produced by global technology leader Connexon, and all 14 schools are getting this to enhance their COVID-19 contact tracing efforts during this football season. Connexon's safe zone technology includes lightweight wearable devices called safe tags, which will be used conference-wide for football student-athletes at team facilities during practices and games. Approximately the size of a watch face, the device is worn as a wristband or on a lanyard, or it can be built into equipment for use on-field in practices and in games. Greg Sankey said, Through the new relationship with Connexon, the SEC is committed to using innovative technology to provide solutions for use by our member institutions as we all work to support a healthy environment for student-athletes. Connexon provides the SEC with a modern and effective solution to meet the unique contact tracing challenges associated with football. Connexon, by the way, is already working with the NFL to help with their contact tracing protocols. 
And basically what this technology is doing is giving real-time timestamps for people who are in contact with or close to somebody who ends up testing positive for COVID-19. So, Borky, you're in practice, and you're in practice today, but we did COVID testing yesterday, and the results come back after practice today, and it turns out you're positive. So I can then go to the database from this, and I can pull up your profile and see who you were in contact for longer, you know, in close proximity to, and for how long? And then, what, 15 minutes of close proximity is the uh, the time stamp, stamp for somebody having to go into uh, contact tracing protocol, yep. quarantine, whatever? Do you guys like this? Anything to get the season completed. Yeah. I, I mean, I do find it funny. I, I even said in the notes. It's just the um, the reckless and stupid... An irresponsible SEC is yet finding another angle to make sure that everybody can be safe. It's almost as if they're not any of those things and took a really pragmatic and intelligent approach to all of this. Narratives be damned. SafeZone uses ultra-wideband technology to accurately calculate the proximity between individuals by distance and length of time in order to perform a quick and accurate contact tracing when someone is symptomatic or test positive. Contact data is logged in a secure system and can be accessed to contact trace in the event of an infection. This takes the guesswork out of contact tracing. Yeah, and also inspires accountability, right? Because it's a little bit different when it's subjective and there's... But if you've got this little device on that's literally beeping when you're unnecessarily close to someone... It helps you kind of just do everything right. Just another oversight that keeps you in check. So, so one, it keeps you from getting too close on a regular basis. But two, and I guess this could help or it could hurt, if you're not sure, you can go back and pull the data and figure it out. And if there's a kid that you're like, well, we're going to have to put into isolation or we're going to have to put into quarantine because we think he was within six feet for more than 15 minutes of player X that tested positive, well, if the data tells you that it was actually seven feet and it was only 11 minutes, then that player would not have to go into the into the protocol. Of course, the flip side is if you think it was, you know, seven to 10 feet for 11 minutes and it turns out it was five feet for 17 minutes, in that case, you may have to go the other way. Fascinating technology. You like this, hey Dad? I'm with Borky, man. By any means necessary to make the the, uh, the season happen. You know, if they need to know where I've been, I'm willing to tell them. I don't care. I just <laughs> just want to get to Saturday, have those games, and get through it. So, you know, you expect your players to that it, to to make it where it's a non-issue that they're going to be responsible and make good decisions, and so it's not it's not that big a deal. And I guess this is the same technology that John Harris was telling us about a few weeks back, that uh, that he had some sort of an armband where if you got too close to somebody, it beeped and you, you backed away. So 
Maybe it's preventative as much as uh, as much as anything else. If I did that, people would just think I was backing up. <laughs> well played, hey dad. Well played. Is that guy backing up? What's he doing? Oh, he's he's wearing one of those tracers. Did you guys see the Woj bomb a little while ago? Yeah. Yeah, my friend the Bulls fan is mad about this. I think he's insane. That's a great hire. Billy Donovan headed to Chicago, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, says that uh, has reached an agreement to become the next head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Which I think when Billy D announced that he was stepping down at Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City, there were some smart people that immediately said, ooh, that would make a lot of sense for Chicago. It didn't happen immediately. It took a few weeks. But uh, that's the next stop for Billy D. not going back to college, as some had kind of wondered aloud if maybe he would do that. I got to visit with Billy this year um, at a basketball game I did in Florida. It was they, they were it was anniversary of the national championship team or one of the national championship teams had a bunch of guys back. He sat down with us and he seemed like a guy that was very very comfortable being a professional basketball coach. Great memories from his time at Florida, great success at Florida. But it's almost like he's been willing to kind of move on from that chapter of his life. Probably knows it would be really hard to replicate. Well, not only that, I mean, to get out of the recruiting game is probably a, a huge sigh of relief. You know, you just say hey, we can. Everything's above the board with the money now. We're just telling them we offer them the contract, and and they just make that decision. And it, it, it's it's a professional thing. I would imagine that's very attractive to most coaches. And, and Billy Donovan has gotten through the, okay, I've got to earn their respect as an NBA coach. I'm not just a college guy. Right, right. He's right. made it through that. Yeah. And may have done his best coaching job yet in the NBA this season with a team that, you know, going into the year, I don't think anybody expected to be Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City to be as good as they turned out to be. No, that, I yeah, mean, this no. was supposed yeah, to be no. a tank year. It was anything but. Anything but. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Todd in Tupelo says, I would never wear a tracking device. We don't live in Russia. I don't think you have to wear it when you go home, Todd. I think this is... And my initial reaction was similar to yours. It was like, okay, we're putting ankle bracelets on football players. Great. But the more I thought about it, the more I kind of learned about this, it was like, no, that's not really what this is. It's about giving yourself another layer of protection. And to Haydad's point, hopefully more about getting you to Saturday so that you can play. Mike in Oxford says, I do have privacy concerns. And I tend to agree, but again, if this is only in the facility, on the practice field, while they're doing team stuff, not when they leave to go home or when they go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, or after they finish a game on Saturday, oh goodness, players having a beer somewhere. (gasps) But I don't think that's what this is. So, in the name of getting us to football games and giving players, you know, 
one more tool in their toolbox to help them stay safe and stay healthy, I think I can be on board with that. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. What's the recipe for an upset this weekend for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State? We'll talk about that next. Ceasefire text line, I'm not a big sports fan, but I do like listening to your show. Sounds like you would sacrifice freedom for a ball game. Yeah, when we were talking about the... I told you what my initial reaction was a second ago. It was like, hold on, we're doing ankle bracelets for football players? I don't know about that. But when I read more and learned more, that's not what it is at all. It does not appear as if these players are going to be asked to wear these monitoring devices outside of when they're participating in team activities in the football facility and on the practice fields and when they're in the meeting rooms. And again, the whole point is to help them stay safe and healthy. And Florida, University of Florida, who is Ole Miss's opponent on Saturday, reported three more positive COVID tests today. In the month of September, they've had a total of 10 positive COVIDs on the football team. So, no, I'm not for tracking devices at all on football players or anyone else. I mean, other than criminals who are under house arrest or whatnot. No, I'm not interested in giving up freedom. I am interested in playing football on Saturdays. Very interested in that. You sacrifice freedom every time you fly. Just get over it. And it's not us that has to wear them. It's Your a, response was nicer. Jeez Louise. It's a, it's a little bit selfish of me to say this, but I don't have a problem so much with it because it's not me that's being forced to do it. But I, <laughs> I, I was joking with a buddy the other day. Um, w- one of them was using the Face app, you know, the one that people think sells their data off to Russia. Yeah. And another one of my friends is like, oh, man, like you shouldn't do that because now they're going to know where you are and, and track your data and stuff like that. And I was like, guys... If you're carrying an iPhone, anybody exactly. can know exactly where you are at any time. Like they already know where you are. They have your banking, everything. They got everything they need on your iPhone. So as scary as that is, there's a documentary on Netflix I encourage you to watch unless you're uh, touchy with your phone. But it's um, all the information that anybody could need is right there in your pocket right now. We yeah, might. I mean, it. You, you look at a website, and the next website you go to, the advertisement for the product you were just looking at pops up. Yeah. For example, there's a show called The Boys. It's based on a comic book, but it's basically bad superheroes, right? Like, they're corporatized, and they, they basically are Marvel superheroes in real life, but they do movies and stuff, and they're all really bad people. And it's about a group trying to expose them because they like commit war crimes and stuff. Anyway, it's on Amazon, and I really enjoy it. Okay. I started watching The Boys on Amazon on my TV. And ads on my Twitter feed are all for The Boys now. All of them. Separate devices, separate accounts. I don't have Amazon <laughs> linked on my phone at all. I don't have it on my phone. I only use it on the computer. But when I watch the boys 
The well, you don't have the Amazon app on your phone where you can just order something with the like two taps? And that's exactly why I don't. <laughs> it's like a personal protection kind of thing. But this, the day after I started watching the boys on my TV, ads start popping up on my phone. Hmm. Somebody said there's a COVID tracker on iPhone? Yes, there is. You have to enable it, but it's there. King Biscuit says, wow, some people, and then uh, we get a text also, how much would an FCC fine be to let you guys just rip some of these folks who think location <laughs> tracking for a few hours are infringing my rights? I'll gladly donate. Well, and if you have uh, an Amazon Alexa device, they're listening. That's not conspiracy. It's they are. One solved a murder. They're listening. Yeah. Um. It's the same thing as people who are like, I'm protesting the NFL because they support whatever. Well, if you drive a car, you're probably supporting somebody who supports those kind of things, too. If you go to the grocery store and buy anything, they probably issued a statement in support of what you don't like. So just live your life, folks. Let's pull this one out of the weeds for a second. And let me ask you this, hey, Dad. I have been uh, teasing it for a bit. The recipe for an upset for Mississippi State in Baton Rouge on Saturday afternoon. Well, it's in Baton Rouge, so first you first you make a roux, and then you just sort of go from there. Um, but on this might sound funny with a with a Mike Leach offense, but we were asked this question on today's uh, Thunder and Lightning podcast, so we'll we'll answer it again here. And my my co-host come up with the answer, Joel. State needs to control the ball, and that sounds weird with a Mike Leach offense, but. State's not good defensively. They got to keep that defense off the field as much as they can. There was an interesting stat that came out yesterday, and Joel tweeted it that in his 16 years as a head coach, 85% of Mike Leach's drives have not gone three and out. So there's, a lot, there's always a lot of talk with Mike Leach. Oh, it's going to be a lot of three and outs. And the, it's not the case. He, you know, he, he keeps the ball through the passing game and, and, you know, using it basically as the running game in a lot of instances. So. State needs to do everything they can to keep their defense off the field because when their defense is on the field, I fear they're going to be giving up points to LSU. Okay. Borky, you got a thought on Mississippi State recipe for an upset? Uh, rattle Miles Brennan. That's See what the one. kid's made of. Bring, bring multiple different looks, but blitz the crap out of them. And if you give up play, big plays, so be it. So be it, because you're going to give them up anyway. anyway. You're probably yeah. going to give them up. So just throw so much at Throw the kitchen sink at him. See if he can process yeah. information and throw under duress, because he's never been able, he's never had to do that before. If you're weak in the secondary, bring seven. And just see what happens. Couldn't cover him anyway. Hmm. I always think back well, to 2016. And how bad that defense was, and there were a couple of times where you would, you would, I had even I had enough time to look downfield and see what the quarterback was seeing, and then come back to him, and he's still in the pocket with the ball because you couldn't get any pass rush. If you can't cover, you might as well, might as well blitz. Cody and Tupelo says State needs two turnovers by LSU and at least thirty-one points. That's probably accurate. They they definitely need to be in the thirties. Yeah. What about for Ole Miss? I, this is 
very, very obvious in most football games, but they have to be able to successfully run the football early because I think Florida State is going to be elite in the defensive secondary. They return a bunch of guys who were really good last year. think they're going to be very similar at the linebacker position even, even though they lost a guy from last year. But the defensive line's a big question mark for Florida. Florida, not Florida State. Yeah. Did I say Florida State? I didn't yeah, mean to okay. if I did. No, no, it's um, fine. Defensive line's a big Somebody question Somebody was going to correct you. I figured it could be me. Yeah. Uh, they lost two defensive ends from last year. Uh, that is a place where they can be susceptible, and that's strength on weakness. Ole Miss should be good at running the football. they got a stable of backs. An offensive line, while there's some inexperienced depth, uh, word is they feel pretty good about at least the starting five and then one. Um, they're gonna be, they think they're going to be pretty good up there. So running the football is something that they probably can do, and if they're successful early, it could take some pressure off Matt Corral and not force him to try to force the ball down the field against an elite secondary. If you run the football, maybe you can force some one-on-one matchups and make it easier for your quarterback to throw the football on what should be a very, very good borderline elite defensive secondary. Okay. The passing game last year for Ole Miss was erratic. And it didn't really matter who the quarterback was. Whether it was Matt Corral, where he would make a couple of great throws and then airmail one or bounce one, or force a ball at a time where it just wasn't there, and then just kind of general inaccuracy from from John Rice Plumley. I think Ole Miss has got to take advantage when plays are there to be made in the passing game, and that's kind of multifaceted. You, you got to have more than just. Elijah Moore at wide receiver, who's great playmaker a year ago. You know, whether it's Dennis Jackson or Jonathan Mingo, Kenny Yaboa, the new tight end, stepping up, there's got to be more than just one guy that can make a play on the receiving end. And then whoever's in at quarterback. I mean, I, I assume that it's going to be Matt Corral, but I think we'll see some John Rice Plumley as well. I think Ole Miss has got to have consistency in the passing game. I mean, this this whole, you make a couple of good throws, and then you make a terrible throw, that just doesn't work. That doesn't work in the SEC, and it certainly doesn't work against good teams. I mean, there's a whole lot more to it, but I, I think that's one of the areas. you got to see some consistency in the passing game. And, Borky, I don't disagree with what you're saying about running the ball. And maybe those two things work hand-in-hand. And maybe the pocket stays a little bit cleaner if you're able to run a little earlier. And whether it's Corral or Plumley, they can feel a little bit more comfortable standing in. Jason says that Ole Miss simply needs to get to Kyle Trask. Might not be a bad idea. Seeing if this defensive line for Ole Miss has the ability to get pressure on Kyle Trask or anyone is something that I think is going to be interesting to see. Sports Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.